Hello everyone, my name is Michael and welcome to this week's edition of the Weekly Climate. Sandra boarded the electric high-speed train from Pittsburgh to New York. She walked along the narrow aisle of the train, past other commuters and found her seat. She sat down and plugged her headphones in. She just came from a meeting with Pittsburgh officials discussing proposals about what to use the just-retired Homer City Station Plant for. So many cool and interesting proposals were discussed. Everything from an art museum, to a startup co-working space, to a lab for researching green energy, to low-income housing. But the proposal she liked the best was a proposal to turn the power plant into a memorial for the climate crisis and how close humanity had been to being destroyed by a few organizations' greed, deceit and attacks on democracy. The Homer City Station plant, along with a handful of plants across the country, was one of the last coal power plants in the world to be shut down, now almost three years ago. The fossil fuel industry really had its grip wrapped tightly around the US political system, which is what enabled it to stay in power far longer than any other place on the earth. She was proud of her work. Although it took a number of death threats, slandering and a usual verbal assaults by fossil fuel climate deniers, she and her team at Sierra Club's Beyond Coal, Coal Campaign have been instrumental in shutting down each and every last one of the coal power plants in the US. The train left the platform and within 20 minutes they passed close by the Homer City Station plant. She could see the smokestack and the towering buildings that hovered above anything else in the vicinity. She pictured in her mind all the fossil fuel infrastructure that had vanished into the past two decades as both peak oil, peak coal and latest peak gas finally dawned on the industry. Remnants were still left, such as the massive Keystone XL pipeline for which the company behind went bankrupt and couldn't clean up after. But all in all, much of nature was finally given back. Pipelines were only a small thing, but she thought about all the open pit mine, such as the massive Tagebau Geizweiler in Germany, which now was converted into a national park. She hadn't been to the park, but she did go to the mine back in the early 2020s, when it was still there, and she remembered how she was totally blown away by the sheer size of it, how she literally couldn't see from one end to the other end of it. She thought about all the moving infrastructure that within a few decades were repurposed or recycled, such as trains, tanker trucks, and gigantic tanker ships. She remembered visiting TI Europe a few years ago. It used to be one of the biggest tanker ships in the world, but now it was converted into a full-service senior village complete with spa, pool, cafes, restaurants, shopping mall, and luxury apartments. Sure, much of that infrastructure had now been replaced by renewable infrastructure. But nowadays, solar panels are so effective that all new houses and apartment buildings come with solar power layered into the bricks, roofs and windows. That coal with battery could power a home for many days. The grid being almost entirely used for big heavy industrial loads or in case you have some sort of malfunction in your own distributed mini-grid. Still, she take a group of offshore wind turbines or even a nuclear power plant instead of an oil rig any day. Sandra turned to the local newspaper on her tablet and on the front page was an article that read, last person to ever die from the effects of air pollution dies at age 54. The article was about how Trevon Patterson, a black male who lived close to the Homer City station plant, who were expected to be the last person to ever die from the effects of air pollution, simply for the fact that there are currently no hospitals in the world who have any patients with any air pollution related respiratory illness in their care. She knew the cancers might still occur, but still, this was perhaps the biggest victory. She sank once and leaned back. This is what she had been fighting for when she joined the fight back in the 2020s. 
7 million people every year died needlessly due to air pollution, mainly caused by the fossil fuel industry. That number was now close to zero. The era of air pollution-related deaths was finally over. This has been a short story written about what the future might look like in a world where we have solved the climate crisis. Before I leave you to the newsletter, ask yourself this question. Even if climate change wasn't happening, wouldn't you want this future instead? And now for the quick overview. Climate and science. Two centigrade will still result in 2.5 meters of sea level rise and ocean heat waves are a thing. Technology. The EU's grid is decarbonizing at an increasing pace and IEA says we need to focus on carbon storage solutions. Startups. A new startup is fixing the poverty tax by ridding us of plastic waste and Sidewalk Labs is launching a new tool to help buildings optimize their energy consumption. Major carbon emitters. We welcome Facebook to the list of major carbon emitters for their contribution in sharing climate change misinformation. Politics. China pledges carbon neutrality by 2060, and the world eagerly await a plan. And California bans the sale of internal combustion engine cars by 2035. Climate justice. Flooding now affects 1 million people in East Africa, and global Friday for Future strikes resumes. Both news items has received frighteningly little news coverage. Book reviews. All We Can Save was released last week to great reviews, so get your copy and join the Heated Book Club. And other news, Jeff Bezos' climate pledges are under scrutiny, and Sir David Edinburgh has released a new climate documentary. The Long Overview. For those who want to dive deeper, brace yourselves. The Long Overview is coming. And we start off with stories we follow. The US presidential election. And a quick overview. The U.S. is a major emitter and are run by a climate skeptic and fossil fuel friendly person. We need a change, and after Joe Biden was elected as a Democratic candidate, that change has to be him. Hence, we keep a close watch on his climate aspirations. And now for the news from the last week. We've been looking at this before, but here's another look at the 100 climate change regulations that Trump has repealed. And to add to that, Trump just appointed two climate change deniers to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, also called NOAA, and he's planning to open yet another forest in Alaska to exploitation, and he's once again showing the world that opinions are more important than facts by denying clear scientific facts about wildfires. However, all is not well on the Democratic side either. Apparently, neither Republicans nor Democrats want to include a carbon tax in the program, which is perhaps the only clearest policy that we must implement worldwide. And what's even more shocking, the Biden campaign actively supports enhanced oil recovery, in which carbon dioxide captured from the air by direct air capture, for instance, is injected into an almost depleted oil well, hereby extracting the last oil in the well. This is really bad. And a disclaimer about the next story, which is about BP. I should make it absolutely clear that me bringing BP at the top of this newsletter is by no means an endorsement. In fact, I believe this to be yet another fossil fuel industry scam. But if it turns out not to be, then BP will be a model for other fossil fuel industry companies to follow, which is why it is important to bring up here. And if it turns out to be a scam, well, 
then it will be used front and center once again as an example of the fossil fuel industry's many lies. It's therefore a win-win to bring it front and center here. Better Petroleum's BP's climate aspirations. BP has announced that it will slash oil production by 40%. If history teaches us anything, it is that this will be just another load of bullcrap, just like Beyond Petroleum were 20 years ago. But we will see. By putting the story up top here, we aim to track it very carefully. And for this week's news. This week's BP announcement was followed by a ton of other industrial pledges to go carbon neutral. Most of them are bullshit, as this new report reveals, including BP's, and in the newsletter we link to yet another analysis covering other than big oil, yielding about the same results. One clear example of that is that BP will not rule out uh, doing more exploration in the North Sea. Yes, I am not kidding you. The company that has sworn that oil will go away soon still wants to explore in the oil sea. This is important, so let's dwell at this for a moment. The exploration process itself can take many years. Once a location has been found, the need to build a rig. Once a rig is built, it's going to be operational for many decades unless they're going to strand it, which would be a completely insane proposition to build it just to strand it a few years later. I'm now more certain than I've been in a while that BP is fucking with us. And you know, it would appear that the stock market calls bullshit too, as BP's stock price just reached a 25-year record low after last week's climate strategy announcement. Now for some climate and science news. California is ground zero for climate disasters. By watching what happens in California and the West Coast in general, we get to peek into the future and what it will be like in a lot of places within this century. There's also a lot of discussion about what can be done to limit the impact of wildfires. And in the newsletter, we link to a detailed New York Times article which looks at firefighting since the 1930s and the strategies which might have put us in the explosive state that we are in now. Related to that is the fact that beavers are nature's best firefighters. And if you want a graphic overview of how we got this far, take a look at this cartoon published in The Grist, which we also link to in the newsletter. A study published in Science has revealed that ocean heat waves, which six years ago killed a lot of sea lions and salmon, are connected to climate change. The one six years ago was particularly damaging, but a lot of them has actually detected with equal devastating effects on marine life. Another study published in Nature has revealed that even if we manage to limit global warming to 2 centigrade, the melting Arctic ice will still raise the sea level by 2.5 meters. And now for technology news. The EU's grid is decarbonizing at an accelerated pace. This year so far 66% of EU's electricity was generated by renewable and nuclear resources. However, I must admit that I'm quite certain that this includes biomass, which is not a low-carbon energy source despite the renewable nature of it. General Electric debuts its monster 13-megawatt wind turbine. One spin of this thing will power a household for a couple of days. Staying on General Electric, it's also good to see their recent announcement that they are going to exit coal. The International Energy Agency, the IEA, says that carbon storage, note the emphasis on storage and not capture, is going to be critical to meet our climate targets. I recently also had an eye-opener similar to this, that it may well be that we can capture CO2 using the vastly unproven direct air capture methods or similar, but just capturing it is just step one. What are we going to do with the gigatons of CO2 once we have it? In relation to that, The Guardian also published a very short discussion of carbon capture usage in storage, also called CCUS technologies. 
now for some startup news. A new startup is trying to fix the so-called poverty tax, which is when, for instance, low-income families are forced to buy smaller items instead of bulk, which otherwise could have saved them a lot of money. And the startup also rid us of a ton of fossil fuel plastic waste. Sidewalk Labs, which is Google Alphabet's urban innovation company, is launching a new tool called Mesa, which aims to optimize buildings' energy efficiency. The tool will automatically adjust heating, lightning, etc. to reflect optimal conditions based on external temperature, light, people, and so on. Plug Power, the company known for its hydrogen-powered forklift, is eyeing the opportunity to make green hydrogen for airplanes. This is a good move because the forklift business model was based on fossil gas. Boo! And now for some news about major carbon emitters. Emily Atkin lays into Facebook for their many years of attacks on climate science. Among other things, she reveals that in 2016, the most shared climate story on Facebook was a fake story about how climate science is a hoax. You should really read her article, which we link to in the newsletter. It's really horrifying. Oxfam has released a report saying that the world's richest 1% pollute as much as 50% of the world's poorest. Over the 25-year period studied, carbon emissions rose almost 60%. And in that period, the increase in carbon emissions for the richest 1% increased by three times more than the increases in emissions from the world's poorest 50%. Vox even provide a helpful guide to the richest 1% about how they can reduce their emissions. Shell is gearing up to go full BP, and as George Monbiot says, snake oil. This is the purest fucking bullshit you'll see this week. And now for some news about politics. 12 out of the 40 C40 cities has pledged to divest from fossil fuel industry in an effort to support a green and sustainable COVID-19 recovery. And not to be a downer here, but it kind of raises the question of what the remaining 28 cities are doing in this regard. China pledges carbon neutrality by 2060. It's clear that China has been pressured into doing more, so this may represent a big shift in policy, but clearly not yet in implementation. China's leader, Xi Jinping, gave almost no details in relation to what they will actually do to accomplish this. This is worrying, as China has more than 200 gigawatts of coal power plants in its current construction pipeline. The California Governor Newsom signed an executive order last week which bans the sale of internal combustion engine cars by 2035. This is the first in the US and is bound to run into legal challenges, unfortunately. And as a great review of carbon pricing policies and the global trouble of introducing them in Boston Review this week, it's written by Matto Mildenberger and Leah Stokes. Now, climate justice. Flooding now affects over 1 million people in East Africa. And once again, one might wonder where the big news coverage of this is. And related, there's also a detailed eyewitness report about how flooding has been impacting Bangladesh the past months. Friday for Future Global Strikes resumed on September 25, despite COVID, which has limited the amount of participants. I've been looking for news coverage of the climate strikes during the weekend, but I've been unable to find a lot of information in major news outlets which is really sad. I found a couple, mostly in blogs, and one BBC and one Guardian. I really hope this is not the media losing interest in this extremely important topic. A dirty Louisiana lawmaker has been proven to have been bribed to allow a pipeline to run through indigenous and black communities. 
And now book reviews. All We Can Save was released last week, and despite not finishing it yet, I have been personally blown away by the different perspective this book takes, and I'm thinking a lot about how to integrate this work into my own work. It's quite possibly one of the most important books on the climate crisis to have come out in a long time. And there's been a number of reviews this week, and we linked to one that's particularly detailed. And Heated is going to be running the next book club on the book as well, as well as dedicating the next 10 weeks to the book. So hurry up and subscribe to Heated to join. If you would rather read a prominent and respected old white dude's take on the climate crisis, then the Noam Chomsky's new book will probably be your best bet. And now for all the other stuff that we couldn't fit into any other category than the other category. Everyone mourns the loss of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who died at 87 last week. Ginsburg was a trailblazer in just about all aspects. Not only has she been instrumental in gender equality and women's rights, but she has also been instrumental in enabling the Environmental Protection Agency to act on climate change. Jeff Bezos has joined the chorus of climate pledges last week and has pledged $10 billion to the cause. $10 billion is a lot of money and obviously a big help, but we should just be sure to be vigilant as to what Bezos' role in the climate crisis have been so far. And he's not exactly a climate hero, as he did points out. The fund was actually announced in February this year, and so far no grants has been awarded, which is a bit underwhelming to say the least. Still, let's hope he picks it up by quite a bit. So David Edinburgh has released a new documentary titled A Life on Our Planet, which has received great reviews, and the link we use in the newsletter also contains a trailer and you can see where the documentary can be watched in another link in the newsletter. I was in an interesting panel discussion a couple of weeks ago at the Grow Invest event in Helsingborg, Sweden, where we discussed the question of impact versus high returns. The short conclusion, the versus should really be an end. And now for your listening pleasure podcasts drilled season five episode one lockdown the new season of drilled launched last week this season will focus on the steve dunziger case steve dunziger is an environmental lawyer who has been on a big case against chevron which ordered them to pay back billions for damaging the environment in south america however that has also landed himself with an angle monitor find out find out why in this episode and here's a quick overview of the case in case you want that before you dive in Inherited, episode two, the sky is falling. This time we follow Jenna, resident of the Rugaways in New York, which got hit badly by Hurricane Sandy in 2012. Warm regards, the episode, disinformation over data. This podcast has always been on my radar, but I've never got the time to include it. That was until they interviewed my favorite climate news reporters, Emil Westerwald and Emily Atkin last week. In this episode, they discussed the fossil fuel industry's campaign of disinformation over data. How to Save a Planet, episode Black Lives Matter and the Climate. A great look into how Black Lives Matter and the climate movement are connected and what the climate movement can learn from each other. Ayana sums it up greatly. Roots, creativity, strategy, and fire. Generation Green New Deal, episode Why Join a Movement. This episode dives into what motivates the young people to dedicate their lives to climate activism. They discuss this from a wide variety of angles within the Sunrise Movement with new and old members of the movement. My Climate Journey, member bonus episode with Jason Bordoff. 
and the link in the newsletter is to the free trailer. Jason interviews Jason Bordoff, who is an expert in energy policy. They touch on pretty much the whole political field of climate change policy. That's it for this week, folks. If you feel like I'm missing something, please let me know at michael at weeklyclimate.com. And if you enjoy this newsletter, don't forget to share it with your friends, co-workers, and people you think could benefit from reading or listening to it. And if you got directed here by a friend or another link on the internet, don't forget to subscribe either to the podcast and or the newsletter. See you all next week.